Welcome to the Bridge Builder Program, an initiative of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, where we help you live your faith in public life. I'm Jason Adkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and with me in studio is our producer and Minnesota Catholic Conference Communications Manager, Kit Cross. Good morning, Kit. Hey, good morning, everyone. Hope that you're having a very blessed fall Saturday. You can catch us each Saturday here on Relevant Radio, AM 1330, at 11 a.m. But you can also find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. That's where you can get our podcast if you miss an episode. Each week, we try to bring you great interviews on some of the major issues impacting how we live our faith in public life. We'll also answer your questions via our mailbag segment, and you can email those to us at show at mncatholic.org. Again, that's show at mncatholic.org, or contact us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And it wouldn't be the bridge builder if we didn't bring you practical ways that you can become a missionary disciple by bringing faith into the public arena. And we call that our bricklayer segment. You can't build a bridge without laying the bricks. Today we're delving into the topic of poverty. October 17th marked International Day for the Eradication of Poverty or World Poverty Day. We know that helping the poor and assisting the poor is one of the corporal works of mercy and it's a way in which we show our faith. Our Lord tells us that People know his disciples by how we love others, and helping the poor, helping those in need, helping those in socioeconomically disadvantaged conditions is a way in which we bring the gospel into the world and that we are salt and light. Not only do we provide direct help to those in need, but the church provides us many opportunities to be charitable with our time, talent, and treasure. Sometimes, though, we find ourselves at a loss for how we can help to make real change that can help us solve some of the underlying causes of poverty. This is why it's important that we as Catholics speak up in the public arena to advocate for policies that allow people to overcome poverty and to flourish. We like to say that we walk with the two feet of charity and justice. Today we're discussing a number of anti-poverty initiatives and ways that advocates are working to make a difference for the poor right here in Minnesota. And this morning we have a special in-studio guest with us from the St. Vincent de Paul Society. Pat Kaiser is with us to lend his insights and expertise on the great work being done by the Vincentians right here in Minnesota. And Pat, you're a local leader of the Vincentians, the St. Vincent de Paul Society. Tell us a little bit more about that and why it was founded. Well, the society itself started in Paris in 1833. Our founder is Blessed Frederick Ozenham. And then we came to the United States in St. Louis in 1845. And then we rapidly went up the Mississippi in Iowa, and then we came to St. Paul. So tell us a little bit more about what inspired uh, Blessed Frederick Ozenham to start the society What's its charism or its animating spirit? Well, he saw that the lay people of Paris were sitting back watching things happen, mostly the lay men, and believed it was time to start a group that put faith in action. And they started out visiting the poor. Uh, He also had a nun that kind of showed him the way and showed him the poor of Paris. Why was Vincent de Paul chosen as the patron of the society? The Poor Clare uh, order founded by Vincent was the group of nuns in Paris that helped him get started, and so he became our founder. Our patron, I'm sorry, not founder, yes, Mm -hmm. patron. (laughs) 
So how did you get involved? What's what's your role locally? And tell us about your work with the Vincent DePaul Society. So I have a couple of roles. I started out uh, being volunteered by my mother. She was the longtime treasurer at Incarnation Parish. At the parish level, we call our groups conferences. I don't want to get too technical, but I'm the treasurer to this day of that conference. All of the conferences join together to form a council. And so uh, the parish representatives are called presidents, and they all meet and are forming a council. And so I'm the volunteer elected president of the council as well. How broadly does St. Vincent de Paul uh, Society reach in here in the archdiocese and then across Minnesota? How, how many conferences are there? We've got 12 in our archdiocese, two, opening, two new ones opening soon. And then we have a presence in the Crookston Diocese, the Duluth Diocese, and the Rochester slash Winona Diocese. Now, there are a, a many different groups uh, within the Catholic world that seek to help the poor, alleviate poverty, Catholic charities, uh, Catholic relief services operates on a more global level. Um, We here in Minnesota, we have uh, Mary's House and Mary's Shelter and things like that. What's the unique niche or how would you describe the way in which the Vincent DePaul Society's charitable activities are organized? Well, our most visible presence is through thrift stores. We raise money that way, and we have two right now. We just opened a third recently in St. Michael. But our real work is done through what we call home visits. We think we're unique. When there's someone in need, we travel two by two, usually a male and a female, and seek to get to know the poor, to understand them, meet them in person, many times at their home. but many times they don't have a home. So I've done home visits in cars. I've done home visits at restaurants. Uh, so we go to the poor wherever they are. How have those visits impacted you personally? Well, when I first got trained, the saying was, you will get more out of it. And I said, there's no way. We're giving them money. They're the ones that are getting the most out of it. But it's absolutely true. Every home visit I've done, I've come away saying, wow, what I learned a lot here. The face of the poor is varied, and that's the main thing I've learned is different people in different situations, many times through no fault of their own. I just read a saying that some of those in poverty need us, those who are poor need us to keep them out of poverty, and we need them to keep us out of hell. <laughs> that's a very good saying. Yeah. Um, in your work, what are some misconceptions that you think people have about those in poverty or where where are the stereotypes and wh- where, what's the truths and what's the falsehoods that people should know? Well, like I said earlier, they're in all walks of life. I had a home visit uh, recently with a woman who's 68 years old. Uh, they're all ages, all races. They're in the city. They're in the country. They're kind of everywhere the poor is, and that's probably the biggest misconception that they're in the inner city and that's where they congregate and that's where you'll find them, which is true, but the poor are everywhere. Mm -hmm. And St. Vincent de Paul members and your ministry, it doesn't just address material poverty, but you put also an emphasis on trying to alleviate spiritual poverty as well. Say a little bit more about those efforts. 
Well, we as Vincentians view ourselves as a prayer group. We're definitely prayer-based. When we visit the poor, we ask them if it's okay if we pray with them. We try to help them understand that there are resources and not just financial resources, but ways to improve themselves and, and find a way out. Pope Francis talks about the importance of encounter, not just um, encountering others in the abstract sense, but encountering others in real difficult situations, learning from them, and like you said, being changed by that encounter. How can uh, Catholics begin that process of maybe stepping outside their normal comfort zones and fostering that uh, spirituality of encounter that St. Vincent de Paul Society members seem to be living so concretely? Well, it's doing it. That first step is the biggest challenge. There's a lot of fear. Um, We offer training. We offer volunteer opportunities to kind of tip the toe in the water. All of our meetings are open. We publicize them. We invite people to come check us out and see what we do and get a better understanding. One of our challenges is what we do is somewhat complex. We're in lots of other things besides thrift stores, besides home visits, and it's hard to explain. But those are the, the easy ones. The, the home visit is triggered generally by a knock at the door of the rectory of a neighbor saying, I need help. We, I mentioned earlier how when we talk about poverty or social action, we walk with the two feet of charity and justice, and St. Vincent de Paul has done that and uh, has for a number of years been working on anti-poverty advocacy at the federal level, but now focusing a little bit more on state-based legislation. Say a little bit about um, the Vincent de Paul Society's advocacy work and maybe why you're taking more of a state-based focus now. Well, I just recently was appointed the state uh, director for the St. Vincent de Paul Society for what we call the Voice of the Poor, and it's definitely advocacy based, politically based, and recently we had a major change in strategy, mostly borne by frustration with federal government and just not our anyone's ability to get anything done there. And so we're shifting our focus to the state level, and that's why they asked me to get involved and help here in Minnesota. What are some issues that you've identified as really having an impact on the poor and where you're focusing your advocacy efforts and you think more people should be aware of them? Well, one is affordable housing, making it affordable, not necessarily building affordable buildings. Others are doing that. And another one is payday lending. We had been working hard at the national level on that issue with great frustration, and now we're going to shift our focus to the state level. Say a little bit more about that issue of payday lending. I think it's a point of confusion for a number of folks that, you know, if, if someone's in a pinch, they can go to a payday lender and get a quick loan, and it seems like a win-win situation for everyone. But what's the, what's the dark underbelly of that industry that people might not be seeing? Well, the concept is maybe I'm three days away from my payday, so it's supposed to be a short-term loan, and you put your paycheck up basically as collateral. The problem, though, is the fees that are involved for late payment and the interest that is involved, and then you take out another loan and another loan and another loan, and then you get trapped. So 
we believe that payday lending should be outlawed at the state level and at the federal level. It's a problem, though, because each state has different laws. Have you seen a lot of uh, abuse of payday lending or people who've been really impacted by that issue here in Minnesota? Absolutely. Another related issue is just high interest. I spoke with a, we call them client recently, who's paying 32% interest on a car auto repair loan, not for the car, but 32% interest to get her car repaired. Usury is a sin we forget about, but uh, exploiting people who are in desperate financial straits and then loaning them money at high interest rates, um, that would definitely fall within that wheelhouse of what we call usury and that we don't talk about much anymore because we're so bound up in a culture of finance capitalism, right? But usury is still a a real sin that impacts people in in very negative ways. Especially the poor. Um, Many times they don't really understand what they're getting themselves into, So it's a lack of understanding, and so we work on education in that area, but it's also they're being taken advantage of. They have nowhere else to go, so okay, let's jack up the rates. Tell us a little bit more about the thrift store concept in general, how that got started, and and how you, can people just bring things to the thrift store and donate them? Is it like, uh, people might be more familiar with the Salvation Army because it seems a little bit Uh, or Goodwill, because there are probably more of them. But is the the thrift store a similar concept? Absolutely. We have two stores. One is on Lake Street in South Minneapolis near the uh, old Sears building. And we have a back door, and we take, allow people to drop off goods right there. Our other store is on West 7th in St. Paul, same concept. Also the store in St. Michael. People drop stuff off. We also pick up if it's a larger donation. And then we do different drives throughout the year at parishes, at uh, nursing homes, wherever people are gathered that want to uh, have us come out and pick it up. But the most common way we get goods is it's dropped off. What opportunities are there for youth in particular uh, through Vincent DePaul Society? Do you have any specific programming aimed at getting young people engaged in this charitable outreach and work, or is it can they just tap into the same types of things that you have for any other volunteer? At the parish level, there's no age limit. Uh, the youth are absolutely welcome. At uh, St. Bernard's in St. Paul, we actually have a youth conference where they formed their own group to do the things that they felt important for the neighborhood. And so we're very interested in getting the young uh, Catholics involved. We work with the high schools. A lot of times they have uh, volunteer service hours and they'll come and work at our warehouse or work at our stores as volunteers. What else should people know about the Vincent DePaul Society? Well, we want to grow. That's kind of our concept right now. We've been, what I call a hidden society. There's a lot of uh, humility in our history, and we want to talk more about it, become more visible, gain more members, and spread throughout the state. Indeed, a venerable institution that uh, seems to be uh, ripe for filling an important niche right now as people find ways to re-engage the social apostolate, and you're doing something unique that has both uh, that charitable component, but also and dipping your toe here into state-based advocacy, which is really exciting. Yes, and the the words that I use is put your faith in action. Sitting at Mass on Sunday every morning is the start. 
but let's do something during the week that can help our society and help the poor. Missionary discipleship in the public arena. That's really a beautiful way to characterize St. Vincent de Paul Society. Pat, where can people go to find out more about what you're doing and the great work of the Vincent de Paul Society? Of course, we have a website. It's www.svdpmpls for Minneapolis.org. Pat Kaiser is a parishioner at Incarnation Parish in Minneapolis, and he's been gracious enough to join us this morning and tell us about the work of the Vincent DePaul Society. Again, that's svdpmpls.org. Did I get that right, Pat? Yes. Mm-hmm. svdpmpls.org. You can't say that those URLs enough when you're on the radio. Pat, thanks so much for being with us. It's been a blessing to have you on the show today. Well, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. God bless your work and the work of the Vincent DePaul Society. Thanks for being with us. And we'll be back in a moment. Time to delve into our mailbag segment and hear what comments and questions you've been sending to our producer, Kit Cross. Kit, what have you got for us today in the mailbag? Yeah, so today's question is actually a great follow-up to what we were just talking about with Pat uh, surrounding issues of poverty. The question is, so when it comes to assisting people in poverty, shouldn't the responsibility be resting on the charity of individuals, private organizations? The church does a great role, so why should we'd be asking the government to get involved. Sure, and this this question often arises when we're talking about um, programs related to human services or welfare and requests for increased spending or spending proposals. People, uh, when you know, we're always talking when it comes to political budgets or state budgets or local budgets about scarcity and scarce resources. And indeed, uh, there is a problem of scarcity. How do we allocate uh, resources to fit the most appropriate needs? But this is why the church talks about the preferential option for the poor is that our public policies should have the poor first in mind um, as we're considering budget priorities. If you think of it as a, a state budget or a government budget, like a family budget, you prioritize the needs, uh, you're the biggest needs first, and those the vul- most vulnerable members in your family, children, the elderly, uh, before you start talking about amenities and things you'd like to have. So you feed and shelter and clothe the people in your ho- home and through your household budget before you talk about the big screen TV or the vacation. And we should think about our government budgets in the same way, prioritizing the needs of the poor. That being said, the money is not limitless, and we have to be prudent in our spending and think about how we can best serve people. And oftentimes an objection that you hear is, well, we've only got so much money. We're already spending, you know, a third of the state budget on human services, which is true. A a huge portion of our state budget already goes toward human services. Can we really afford to be doing more? And we get this objection, well, the churches, you know, they should be the ones doing this. And the reality is, of course, the churches are doing these Mm -hmm. things. Private organizations are helping the poor, but they don't have limitless resources either. Mm -hmm. Um, When I, you know, hear, especially from Catholics, that the churches should be doing more, I ask them, well, are you going to be donating so that we can do more? I mean, the money has to come from somewhere, right? So, you know, one of the ways in which the the state um, can be effective in alleviating poverty is it can marshal resources and 
in ways that churches and non-governmental organizations simply can't through the power of taxation. And that's certainly been the case, especially in the United States, the 20th century and the early 21st century is the ability to use tax revenue to create social service programs and welfare programs that assist people in poverty and in some cases lift them out of poverty as well, not just ameliorating the very um, basic effects of uh, poverty or destitution. Now, of course, we should always be evaluating the success of those programs and not continuing to send money. But the churches and non-governmental organizations by themselves simply can't do it uh, alone. Um, the, The need is so great that we need to partner with the state to do so. And it's also great, I should mention, that oftentimes in these poverty alleviation programs, state money is granted to non-governmental organizations, organizations like Catholic Charities, who can do the work better than the state can. And so it's a great thing when there are these public-private partnerships where the state's resources can be used to marshal um, those resources and then direct them toward providers uh, who can do the best job in uh, spreading those out. Now, it's true that government can't love people. The churches can love people. The government can't love people. But it can play a role in establishing that basic um, level of economic justice, keeping people out of destitution and uh, you know programs like the Minnesota Family Investment Program, which is our basic program to help families in poverty, is one way in which we do so. So one of the big successes of this last legislative session in 2019 was an increase in the cash grant in the Minnesota Family Investment Program, which hadn't been increased since 1986, and that went up $100 a month. Um, so that's really a great blessing uh, and uh, an important way in which government-sponsored programs can provide, again, that basic subsistence to help lift people out of poverty in a way that the churches, at least in the resources we have, aren't simply able to do so on their own. So it's 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 one of those great both-and dynamics that, yes, we need the churches, we need the non-governmental organizations. Government can't love people, but government can uh, be an instrument of justice and marshal resources that we can partner with non-governmental actors such as churches to alleviate poverty. Wonderful. So we have just a few more minutes today. And before we go, we want to move into our bricklayer segment, start to give our listeners those practical tips on how they can start putting faithful citizenship into action. And well, there's a big day coming up here in just over a week. You want to tell us a little bit more about how people can prepare for the election. Yes, so there's not a presidential election this year, but of course there will be next year and there will be other major um, offices on the ballot. Our whole legislature will be up for election in 2020. Uh, It's going to be a big year. Uh, There's going to be a U.S. Senate race here in Minnesota, all the congressional seats. But in the off years, we still have important elections, especially at the local level. So a number of city councils uh, will be up for election this year, among other um, offices. And it's important that people pay attention to those as well. And one of the questions we've received recently is, Um, kind of twofold. A, how do I know where to find information about these candidates? And then B, um, what do I do if all the candidates seem to propose things or support things like abortion, for example? How do I vote in that instance? Let me tackle the first one, which is where can I find information? This is where being keyed into your, uh, your neighborhood and your community is really important. Most local communities have local newspapers that cover these issues and talk about what's going on and and discuss the issues that are on the radar in local communities. So if you're not reading those, and not every community has them, but most do, I get three different ones at my house, and I live in St. Paul, 
um, from the various neighborhoods. So you can find out what the issues are and where candidates stand. Those are great places. There's lots of letters to the editor for and against various candidates. Sometimes um, those races will be covered in bigger papers like the Pioneer Press or the Star Tribune or Duluth News or things like that. So those local races will get some coverage. But, you know, identify who the candidates are, go to their websites, read about them, see what their core issues are, get to know them. Um, We always tell people it's easy to get to know candidates at the state level, and it really is. But it's even easier to get to know local candidates. They want to hear from you. They want to get their name out there. They want to get the name recognition because because they're not in commercials all the time, for example. So you can get to know these folks. Uh, Local media is a great way to do so. Attend, you know, uh, park board meetings, city council meetings, neighborhood council meetings. These are a great way to get to know people, too, because that's where they're kind of making their pitch and um, offering their particular platform for why they should get elected to office. So take advantage of local media when you're trying to identify a local candidates um, for office, especially at that city council, school district level as well. Sometimes there's ballot initiatives, referenda, levies, bonding things related to schools. Um, and again, local media is a great place for that. Now, once you've done your investigation, you might find if you live in St. Paul, like I do, that um, you know oftentimes these candidates are all supporting uh, values that are inconsistent with Catholic social teaching and the natural law and the uh, correct ordering of things, particularly at the level of the sanctity of life, even though questions like abortion don't really come up all that often uh, at the local level. And so then what do you do? And here we have to be prudent and and, uh, weigh the sort of lesser of two evils, A, recognizing that some of those issues aren't going to have a real big impact at the local level, so the, the candidate might be supporting those things, uh, simply from political reasons, but at the same time, I you know identify which candidate, despite that particular political position, um, is going to work for the common good in your community and and uphold human dignity uh, in ways that still have value. Now, again, if you're getting that 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 issue wrong, the sanctity of life issue is wrong. It's going to be hard to operate on the right principles and off operating software that. Uh, you know, allows us to bring those principles into public life and use them effectively. But there still can be good candidates who do those things and who have a lot of good things to say on other issues. And so you kind of have to weed through and separate the wheat from the chaff, so to speak, and identify people with whom you can work. Are they uh, caustic bomb throwers or are they people who are going to be actual uh, real representatives of their constituents? listening to them, identifying key issues that impact the community and working to move those forward. For example, I live in St. Paul right now. There's a lot of contentious debates about the direction of that city. And although most of the candidates are going to identify with one party and have particular perspectives on contentious social issues, those aren't really the ones that we're debating quite often in St. Paul. We're debating how many police to put on the streets, what kind of trash system uh, that we should be using, how uh, well are our streets plowed, uh, should we have fees for overdue books at the library, things like that. Those are the types of issues that uh, come up on the local radar And those are the ones you want to be considering and who's going to be most attentive to the needs of the community and have the right perspective on some of those things that you know best about and that you care about. Great. So uh, just to kind of reiterate how you might be able to find more information on your specific ballot, you can go to mncatholic.org forward slash election. We've got lots of different links there that is they're going to take you right to those spots on the Secretary of State's website where you can find out ahead of time what's on your ballot so you can start doing that research. We're just about 
a week out. So now's the time to start looking. And I would also add that you can always try to find these uh, candidates on social media. Sometimes they have a campaign page. It's also a great way to, you know, just reach out to them um, on some of these smaller races. They might even want to meet with you. And they'll probably be coming to your door as well. The best way to reach Minnesota voters is still door knocking. And so look for those candidates at your door. Look for the little things they leave on your door handle. Um, Lawn signs are still a great way of letting people know Mm -hmm. who the candidates are, if nothing else. Um, And so you can write down a few names, look them up use the Google, as we like to say, and and find out more about them through social media. Well, that's all the time we have for today. But remember, you or your organization can become a sponsor of The Bridge Builder. By doing so, you'll help others bring the Catholic faith into public life. Become a sponsor of The Bridge Builder Show and let listeners know that you support bringing the Catholic faith into the public arena. Contact Kit via our show email, show at mncatholic.org. Again, show at mncatholic.org for sponsorship opportunities. And again, you can be part of our mailbag segment. Just send any of your questions or comments to show at mncatholic.org or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Then tune in next week to find out if we include your question or comment. Also remember, you can catch up on any past episodes online at mncatholic.org podcast or search for the Bridge Builder podcast on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for tuning in today to The Bridge Builder. We'll be back again next week with another great guest, more of your comments and questions, and a new way for you to build bridges in public life. I'm Jason Atkins, and for a Kit Cross, the Minnesota Catholic Conference, have a blessed weekend.